Thank you for tuning in to Vertical Church Online. We are so glad that you're here as we wrap up our series, First Things First. Let's check out what Pastor Brian has to say inside. Ooh, yeah. I just feel like I want to clap one more time for what God is doing. Amen? Amen. Yeah. I love what God is doing here at Vertical Church. I'm so grateful for his leadership, and I'm grateful for response that puts us as a people, as a church, right on the leading edge of what he's doing. And that's where we all want to be in our individual lives. I want want to be right on the edge of what's next. I don't want to be back. I don't want to be behind. I don't want to be left far away. I don't want to be resistant, pulling away. I want to be right on the edge of what he's about to do next. That's what he calls us to individually. That's what he calls us to as a church. And I think in this series, we've seen the power of that. And we have discovered what he teaches in Scripture that our way of doing that, of staying on the leading edge, is by putting first things first. This is our way of saying, God, I, I recognize your authority, your power, your leadership, your direction. So first things first, I'm here. I'm putting you first. We've seen in Scripture that the first always belongs to God. The firstborn in the Old Testament belonged to God. The first fruits of whatever they received belonged to God. It was to be given to him. It was to be offered to him. It was to be an honor to him. If you received any kind of blessing into your life, if you received any kind of increase, the first part of that belonged to God. The tithe is a picture of that. I give the first part, not the last part. I give the first part, not what I figure out I can give maybe later if I have the time and maybe I have something left over. No, faith says I give the first part to God. I recognize and honor him first. God blesses when we give the first. He blesses the first and he blesses the rest when you honor him first. And this is true, as Brianna mentioned, with our emotions, God, whenever I have feelings starting to arise, you get to choose the first feeling. You go first. I put your your feelings above mine, what you say above mine. In my thought life, when all my thoughts start spinning and raging and racing, nope, God, you get the first thought. And when you give him the first thought, he'll establish and settle the rest of the thoughts. That's what he does. Emotions, thoughts, it's true in my relationships. God, It's not what I want. It's not what I want to get out of the deal. It's what you say is first. And as we've been experiencing here, we have seen that God has a premium upon relationships, such a premium on them that he says, look, if you come into a situation and you're bringing a gift to God and you remember there that your brother has something against you, it would be important for you to leave your gift. Stop what you're doing and go and reconcile. That's how important The relationship and reconciliation is. That's putting God's ways first, not my ways first. My way says, well, I'm just going to show them. I'll just cut them off a little bit. I'll just reject them. I'll just be cool to them, cold to them. I'll insult them, gossip about them, tell them what I think. God says, no, I call you to reconciliation. That is first. It's true of my finances. I don't take what I have left over. If I happen to have any, I honor him with the first. And whenever you put first things first, God always blesses because it's your way of tangibly saying, 
Jesus is Lord of my life. Not me, not my wants, not my desires, not my reputation. He goes first. We've been exploring that in a lot of different ways here over the past two months. Today, we finish our series with a look at what we are called to as the church, the called out ones, what is to be first for us. What is first in the church? And the the things we've learned up to this point will be true for us today as well. It'll be what he determines is first, not what we determine. It'll take great faith to do it. You're going to have to set aside and adjust your priorities for his priority. And then he will bless when we put first things first. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to Matthew 28, the last chapter in the Gospel of Matthew that first book there in the New Testament. If you have a Bible app on your phone, device, whatever it might be, Matthew 28 is where we are today. I'm all the way down to the last part of that chapter. It's interesting because it's the final command that Jesus gives in the Gospel of Matthew. It'll be the last thing that he tells the disciples in that letter, the final thing he has to say. It'll be be the final command given by Jesus on earth. So there's some, there's some premium on that. But I like to think of it a little bit different way because it's not just the last thing Jesus said. It's the first thing that Jesus has commanded since he was resurrected. Hmm, I just think about that for a minute. He had been the Savior who'd come, <clears throat> give his life. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm going to have to have a drink of water here for just a moment. Pardon me. Maybe you might hear me swallow. I don't know. There we go. It's the last thing that Jesus says on earth, but it's the first thing that he says as a resurrected Lord. He had been to the cross, took our sin, took our shame. He bore it completely in himself on the cross. The suffering that he took there wasn't just physical. It was spiritual. He was bearing something that those who watched that day couldn't see completely. He was taking every bit of the guilt, shame, fear, condemnation, rejection that you and I deal with when we sin. He took that all upon himself. That's what made that moment so horrific. And that's why it's really kind of an affront whenever you and I start dealing with guilt, shame, condemnation, rejection, because we're taking up something he already took. You see, when he took it on the cross, he took it with him into the tomb, and it was buried there. It was removed there. It was paid for there. And so the Jesus that's now about to speak in this passage is the one who, on the third day, rose victorious. This Jesus that's about to speak is the one who defeated sin, who paid for the debt, who overcame the grave, who defeated hell, who overcame Satan himself and all of his enemies, all that was thrown on him. Jesus walked out of the grave completely victorious. And now, now he's about to say something that has some additional weight to it, that has some additional calling to it. This is the first thing that Jesus commands after the resurrection. Verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee 
to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Setting up the scene here, Jesus has been resurrected. The disciples have heard some stories. Some have seen him, but Jesus says, okay, here's the deal. I want you all to go to a very specific place, to a mountain in Galilee, and I am going to meet you there. This is your appointed place. I want you to go to this place. And the funny thing was for the disciples is they didn't know what was going to happen there. They didn't know what he was going to say there. They, don't have the, they didn't have the benefit that we do of having the whole story unfolded already. All they knew was they saw him crucified. Some had seen him resurrected. Some had heard the story. Some had heard other people's accounts. And now they're all to go and meet on a hillside on a mountain and meet this resurrected Jesus. And I'm sure they were thinking, man, what does this mean? What is this going to be now? What is he going to say to us? What are we going to do? What's supposed to happen next? This all sounds very unusual. I just can't figure out what's going to happen next. Has Jesus ever called you to go to a spot where you didn't know what was going to happen next? Yeah, see, all of a sudden now we just know exactly where these men were. Because Jesus does that sometimes. He says, hey... I've got something I want you to do. Okay, Lord, I'll do it. And he tells you what it is, and you're like, why? Why do I have to do that? How come I have to go there? Can you just give me more information, Lord? No, I just want you to meet at the place that I tell you. Do what I ask you, and then you'll find out the next step of information. That's the way Jesus walks. That's how he rolls. You, you do what he says, and then he tells you some more. If you're expecting a Google roadmap for all that's going to unfold next, first, before you do it, I hate to disappoint you, but he doesn't work that way. He works in a take this step, and then I'll show you what to do in the next step. And this puts you and I in a place of absolute faith. Amen? And we have to choose first things First, So Jesus tells them where to go, what to do. They arrive, verse 17, story kind of gets shortened for us. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. That's awesome. Man, I don't know if someone, you know, pulled out, you know, a ukulele, a harp or something, you know, a stringed instrument, or I don't know if someone pulled out a little box and like, you know, they start singing a song. I don't know what's going on here, but there is this awe in the moment there. They see Jesus. He's resurrected. He's after the grave. He's alive again. And they're just in awe of the moment. Wow, this is incredible. Here is the resurrected Jesus. Here's the one who said he would rise again on the third day. And here he is. Wow. They worship him. Their hearts are moved for him. They have a moment like we just did a while ago. where They're just pouring out their hearts and they're grateful for who he is and what he's done. But some doubted. Whew. Some doubted. Some in the midst of a worship expression and experience and moment with Jesus alone, some doubted. Some were like, I don't know. I mean, how do you do that? How do you come back from the grave? I mean, maybe he didn't really die. Maybe, who is that? Is that really him? Some are uncertain. Some are doubting. It's the word that means double. It's the word that means to have two thoughts 
tracking at the same time. In one moment, you're saying, Jesus, you are, you are Lord. This is amazing. At the same time, you're saying, I don't know about all this. Anybody ever had some double-tracking mind? Amen. Everybody here could nod your head on that one. It's okay because every once in a while that happens. You can be in the midst of a room where worship is happening and there's some doubt going on at the same time. Amen? Now you might think that if Jesus lived up to some of the things that people think about him, that the next verse would be something like, and Jesus scorched them with rods of judgment. You know, but... What happens next is important. These are his disciples. These are those who have trusted him. They're filled with worship, but there's a little doubt. They're filled in awe. They're filled with awe and wonder, but there's a little bit of, how does all this work out? Where does all this go next? There's a little bit of uncertainty. What happens next is important because what happens next is what Jesus does when you and I are filled with worship and at the same time, there's a track of doubt going on. Look at the next verse. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Into your doubt, Jesus speaks hope into the place where you're tracking with a little bit of uncertainty while you're worshiping at the same time, Jesus comes to speak some confidence. It says absolutely nothing here about Jesus saying, shame on you. What's wrong with you? Who do you think you are? I knew you'd never amount to anything. None of that is said here. Please take note. Jesus meets their doubt with great truth and confidence. And he says to them, the thing that you are struggling right now to comprehend, I've already comprehended it. The thing right now that you are wrestling with, I've already defeated it. The thing right now that is keeping you from being in a place of full-hearted worship, I've already overcome it. And this is where he gives them some hope. He gives them some good news. He gives them this message of confidence. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You see, what Jesus had just walked through was an experience with the ultimate in darkness, the ultimate in evil, the ultimate in hopelessness, and the ultimate in obedience, laying down his life. And because he did what the Father called him to do, because on the third day he walked out of that tomb, he walked out resurrected, he now, now had authority over the grave. He had conquered it, so now he has authority over it. He conquered death, now he has authority over it. He had conquered Satan, so he has power over him, authority over him. 
He had now paid for sin, so Jesus has the right and the authority to declare someone forgiven, redeemed, and cleared. He had that authority now. He has authority over every situation and circumstance. He has the authority to give you his inheritance. He has the authority to bless you. And he has the authority to call you sons and daughters of God. He had gained this authority because of what he went through. You tracking with me so far? So now, in the name of Jesus, every vile spirit has to flee. They don't get to stand. They don't get to hang out. They don't get to be around because he has authority. In the authority of his name, every spirit of fear has to leave. Every sin is forgiven. Therefore, every spirit of guilt has to go. They have no authority. Every sickness can be healed. The dead will be raised. Those in bondage can be set free. Those who walk in darkness can know light. Those whose lives have been burned to the ground and are in ashes can know that he will once again bring beauty for their ashes and joy for their spirit of mourning. Those who've walked in conflict, those who've walked in destruction, can now know peace because Jesus has authority. Because he has authority at his name, chains can break. People can walk out of their grave in their own life. They can live as though they have been made new because they have. Hard hearts can be softened. Weak hearts can be made strong because he has the authority to do that. It's not because of anything in us, but because he has authority. And Jesus says something so important to these disciples because what he's about to call them to will require them to believe this. He is about to give them what many now call the great commission, the great directive for the church. It's going to be our first things first as a church. What he is about to tell them applies to us today because we have been made sons and daughters of God. We have been made the church of God. When he bled on the cross and he was resurrected, what came out of the grave was not just him, but the birth of the church in that moment because the spirit would now be given and he would become head of the church. And the church was born on that day as well. And it will require our absolute confidence and certainty that he has all authority, that he reigns over all things, not anything else, but just him. He has all authority. So based on that, here's what he says to the disciples in verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because of what I've told you, Jesus said, now you can go. Because of the authority I have, you can now walk. Because of the direction I've given you, you can now walk in the certainty of that. You see, what you believe will determine how you behave. Who you believe has authority will determine the direction of your life. And it's funny how sometimes we, 
as those redeemed who've put their faith in Jesus Christ, sometimes we live as though he doesn't really have all of that authority. It happens. I say we because I know this experience. Sometimes we live as though he is incapable of changing our circumstances, as though he is unable to provide, as though he is removed and out of touch. Sometimes you and I live as though the world has more authority than Jesus has authority. We get afraid of what's out there. We hunker down and hide away. Whatever you hide from is what you believe has authority over. Jesus has authority, not the world. You and I live sometimes as though the enemy has more authority than he does, than Jesus does. We fear him. We run from him. We don't shut him down. We listen to his lies. We act as though he has more authority than Jesus has authority. Sometimes you and I act as though sin has more authority than Jesus has authority. It gives a little temptation, a little impulse, a little urge. You're like, oh, I guess I better just give in to that. I don't know what else to do with it but to give in to it. You just gave it authority in that moment. You just said it's greater than Jesus. You just said it has more authority and power than what Jesus has authority and power. You see what I'm saying? We sometimes act as though he doesn't have all authority in heaven and on earth. Sometimes you and I think our struggles have more authority than Jesus does because we get weighed down by them. We get burdened with them. We get all bent out of shape by them. And we don't have hope. We don't have faith. We don't have confidence because we're giving the struggle more authority than Jesus has authority in our lives. Sometimes you and I live as though the governments of this world have more authority than Jesus. We get all nervous about earthly rulers. We think that's more important than Jesus. We think they are the ones who control our lives instead of the king of all kings who controls our lives. We get nervous about who's in the big house rather than who's serving in God's house. This is what you and I are called to. Amen. Come on now. Jesus has been given all authority. It's time we, as the church, start walking in that because that's what Jesus was telling the disciples. Look, if you want to accomplish what I've called you to, you're going to have to know first it starts with Jesus having all authority and you believing that. Sometimes you and I, we give our emotional struggles more authority than Jesus. Some thought comes up, some emotion comes up, some panic, fear, greed, jealousy, whatever it might be, whatever emotion it might be, anger, depression, and we give it more authority. We submit to it instead of submitting to Jesus. In that moment, you've given your emotions more authority than Jesus. Our thoughts, the culture, fear, every one of the things I just mentioned, and that whole list when Jesus was on the cross, he took them in. He bore them in his own flesh. He took them to the grave. And he walked out and left them there. He has power over them. Amen. He has authority over them. 
I don't have to let fear control me. Jesus has more authority than that. I don't have to let guilt hold me down. Jesus has authority. I don't have to keep my priorities. I can adjust my priorities for his priorities because he has authority. I can put first things first. So back to what Jesus said. If this is the first for the church, then you and I gathered here today, we need to know this. We need to know it and practice it. This needs to become our obsession, our passion, our first things first. Our no matter what, this is what I will do first. So here it is. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. In the original language, it gets a little bit shorter than all of that. It simply says, go and disciple the nations. Now, just think with me just for a moment. This is first century. There are no planes. There are no motorized vehicles. There's no internet. There's no worldwide mail system. There's no Amazon. There's no Google. And yet they are given a vision and a mission to disciple the nations. He didn't just say, go find two people, tell them about me, and you'll be done. He gave them this audacious, massive vision. You are going to go beyond yourselves. You are going to disciple, teach, help them see how to live life under the rule and authority blessing of Jesus throughout the nations. You, you 11 men, that's your mission. And that same mission echoes down through the ages and it lands right on us today. This is our first things first. Now, there's a lot of stuff that I love about church. I love the worship times. I love the, I love the music. I love worship here at Vertical especially. I like the setting. I like the singers. I like it all. As great as that is, that is not the first. As much as I love it, I have to remind myself that's not the first thing. I love getting together with other believers. I love sitting in our lift group and talking together and applying the truths that we're talking about here on Sunday mornings and open the Bible and say, hey, how do we live this stuff out? I love all that. I love getting together and serving some food and laughing and playing some team building games. That's my big deal. I love all that stuff. As much as I love all that stuff, that's not the first thing. I love it when the whole church gets together and we have a big old meal and we celebrate and do some fun things, which by the way, I'll give you a little hint here. In April, Vertical is going to be celebrating its five-year anniversary. Yeah, it's awesome. And we, as a church, are going to do something big on that day, and it involves some food. And it starts with the letters BBQ. So we'll just, I'll just, that's coming up. I love all that stuff. As important and as wonderful as that is, it's not first. I love teaching. I love to get up and explain God's word and talk about it and apply it. And the more people in the room, the better. I love all that kind of stuff. As much as I love that and as great as that is, it's still not first. Jesus says, here's the deal. 
first. Keep this first. Your role as the church is to keep reaching more people, to go to the nations. They may look different than you, speak different than you, behave differently than you, have different cultural backgrounds, be in different cultural settings, but your role as the church is to do what Jesus did and take the gospel to the nations and teach them how to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is your first. All the other stuff is important. In the same way as at home, paying my bills is important. Having a place to live that's safe is important. Taking my wife out to dinner, very important. (laughs) Giving her a break, that's very important. All those things are important in my house. But there's one thing God says I'm to do with what I receive first, to give it to him, a tithe. It belongs to him. In the same way, our tithe as a church, our first energies, our first passions, our first, first, first must be that we have been called to make disciples of the nations. We have to keep that in the forefront of our mind. And you say, well, how do we do that? Isn't that bigger than us? Yes. Isn't that kind of like a massive goal? Yes. Isn't that kind of audacious and overwhelming? Yes. That's the kind of thing God calls us to. Well, how are we going to do that? By putting first things first, and then he does it. Remember, when you bring the first thing, he'll bless the first thing, and he'll bless the rest too. Mm. So Jesus wasn't finished. He went on and, and told a little bit more about this vision. It's, a, it's an audacious vision. It's an audacious calling. He says, you're to be teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus says, I know I've given you an audacious vision. I know I've given you an audacious calling. You're to go to an audacious number of people and you're to go with a message. And the message calls them out of where they're living, calls them out of their own guilt, shame, and perceptions of what God is like, to call them out of their current life and to call them to follow Jesus, to call them to repent, to call, to call them to change, to call them to be baptized, to call them to be part of his church. This is your calling. This is what you and I are called to. There's a lot of stuff the church can get involved in today, but we have to keep first things first. Our role is to introduce people to Jesus Christ, then repent of their ways and make him Lord of their lives. This is what we are all about. This is first things first. Now, it's funny how you and I live sometimes, though. We live as though that's something we're too weak to do, something we are powerless to do, something we are incapable of doing, something that can't reach beyond the small city limits of Ovilla something that we think we don't have the resources for, something we think that that's just too big. And he says, I will take care of the blessing that comes from it. You just keep first things first. And he gets very specific about how we do this. He says, you're to be teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. I love the fact that Jesus didn't call us to go tell people to make a decision as much as he called us to go to people and make them disciples. 
He didn't call us to go out and say, be saved. Okay, you're done. Bye. Move on to the next week. Okay, here's the gospel. Okay, you're saved. Good. Bye. And, and move on. No, he says, no. When they are birthed into the kingdom, grow them up in the kingdom. Teach them how to live now. Help them walk out this walk of faith. Help them know how this applies in their marriage. Hey, we're coming up on our seventh week this week on Wednesday nights of seven weeks to a greater marriage right here in this room. And it's been awesome every week to see 40, 45, 50, 55 people gathered right here to say, I want to know how to walk in God's ways in my marriage. And we're seeing fruit come from that. I'll just give you another little hint. We've saved week seven for week seven because we've talked about intimacy in a lot of areas, but this week, it's that one you've been waiting for. It's that one that makes you just a little bit awkward because it's happening in church. Yes, we're going to talk about physical intimacy. And sometimes churches don't talk about that on Sunday mornings, and I don't talk about that on Sunday mornings because in this room right now are a lot of people across the ages and spectrum that don't need to hear all that right here and right now. Are you with me? But this Wednesday night, with couples only in the room, I'm going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what Scripture has to say about it. That's just a little side note. So... Jesus says, I want you to be teaching them how to observe all these things. I want you to teach them about how to live out their faith in their marriage, how to live out their faith in their parenting, how to live out their faith while they're conducting their finances, how to live out their faith in every area of their life, how to live out their faith as they're walking with Jesus, how to walk out their faith in their thoughts and their emotions and their habits and their attitudes and their passions and in their home, how to do all of that. This is what you and I are called to as a church. We have to keep first things first. Mm. It's a pretty audacious calling, though, to walk out into a world and say, hey, not we have a way you should live. We have the way that is the path to God. We have the way. We're not just one among many religions. We believe we are the only way to life. We believe Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's an audacious calling, but this is what you and I are called to. We don't just have a good idea about life. We have the way to life. We have the way that calls people out of their fear, isolation, condemnation, bondage, judgment, death, and calls them to life. Amen? We have an audacious command from Jesus to make disciples of the nations. It's clear. This is what you and I are called to. God has given us much here at Vertical Church, but I believe what he has for us is bigger than we currently have with us. Stay with me. I believe what he has called us to is bigger than what we currently have. The vision, what he's called us to, is bigger than what can fit on these three acres right here. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. The vision he's called us to is bigger than what can fit in this room. Yeah. The vision he's called us to is bigger than what our minds can conceive today. And I don't know if you sense this, but for me, from where I sit, I feel like we're at this tipping point. We're at this moment where God has blessed and continues to bless we're at this moment where it's just about to all tip on over. And what is, needs to happen next is a full-hearted surrender that says, Jesus, you first, first things first. A tipping point of obedience for us.
we stand at that tipping point today, I believe. We've been strategically placed right here in Ovilla at the light, the only light in Ovilla, where thousands of people every day pass by on their way to work, on their way home from work, that pass by to go to the store and out to eat and go back home. Every day they pass by here untold tens of thousands of times. And every day they see vertical church, vertical church, vertical church. I can't tell you the number of people who have said to me, you know, I drove by your church for a long time and finally thought, I should go check them out. They see the banner out front. They see our message series. They visit our website. They see us on social media. This is what you and I have been strategically placed here in Ovilla for, I believe. We've been given the power of the gospel in our hands, the power that changes lives, that takes a dad who is removed and uninterested in his home and turns him into a loving father and husband that turns him into a Christ follower who says, Jesus, you get the first place in our home. That takes a woman who's walked in guilt and bitterness and shame and hurt and heals those, brings peace and makes her a beautiful daughter of his. We've been given many talents here within our church as well. And what you see every Sunday and every time we gather is us doing what we can to leverage the talents and the resources he's given us to make the gospel known. That's why the singers are here. That's why the tech booth is back there. The tech crew is back there. That's why there's an audience online watching right now. That's why there'll be countless who'll be watching this week. They're hearing the truth and they're learning and being changed. You and I have been called to that. We've been called to an area that's in need. People are flocking to this area. I don't know if you've looked at real estate anywhere in this area. Now is a great time to sell your house. Now is a terrible time to buy a house in this area because they're expensive. People want to be in North Ellis County. God has strategically placed us here for a purpose. We have to be the voice for families that are moving here who say, I don't know what to do. I've got children in second grade and sixth grade, and I'm already running into issues. What do I do? We have answers. We have answers for the couple that says, we've been married five years and we're struggling. We're wondering if we're even going to make it past five years. We have answers. For those in the community that say, I've got to find some way of escape in my own head. I can't, I can't bear with the stress I'm under right now. The bills, my job, all of that is too much. We have answers because God has answers in his word. And he's called us, us as the church to be the ones who accept that responsibility and do what he's called us to do. This is not our time to live with criticism of the world. This is not our time to have fear about what's happening out there that makes us freeze in our tracks. This is not our time to be filled with doubt. This is not our time to be reclusive and hide away because we're believers in Jesus Christ. This is not to, the time to give the enemy any authority. This is not the time to give the world any authority. This is the time to be the church who says, Jesus, you are the head of the church. You are the one who has all authority in heaven and earth, and we will do what you say. We will put first things first. We will go. We will reach. We will teach. We will make disciples of those far beyond us. Amen? Amen. He's called us, and we are responsible He's called us and we are alive in him. 
The world might think a lot of things about us, but it's not what they think, it's what he thinks. In 19, I'm sorry, in 1897, Mark Twain was one of the most well-respected authors. Mr. Clements was his name. Mark Twain was his pen name. And he'd begun to build quite a bit of notoriety, but he was also building quite a bit of debt at the same time. And Mark Twain said, man, I gotta do something. I gotta go make some money somehow. He got on a boat and he went to Europe and he began to speak and travel there and try to make some money to pay for his debts here. And many in America were uncertain as to what had happened to him. They stopped seeing his name anywhere. They stopped seeing his influence. They thought, well, he must have just pulled aside. He must have pulled back or worse. It's very possible he's gotten sick and worse, he's died. And so rumor began to spread. Stories began to be told. Mark Twain is dead. There is no more Mark Twain. The beloved storyteller is gone. Mark Twain finally returned to America and he started hearing all these stories. He started hearing all the stories about his death, all the rumors. He finally took a day where he went public and said, hey, I'm here. The reports about my death have been greatly exaggerated. I am alive. Today, it is time for the church of Jesus Christ to say, look, you may have heard some things about us. We may have not been on the forefront like we should have. We may not have been doing what we once did, but this is a new day. This is a new time. We are going to put first things first. And the reports about our death have been greatly exaggerated. We are alive. Amen. Amen. We're alive because we serve a God who has been victorious over all things. We serve a Lord who is our head as the church, who has authority over all things in heaven and on earth. Let's start living like that. Amen. Let's live as those who know he has authority. What he says is first. We will be the church of Jesus Christ. Bow your heads with me. Father, today, I thank you that you've called us to something audacious. I thank you that you've called us to something bigger than ourselves. God, forgive us for when we have pulled away, hidden, been afraid, and given our own emotions, our thoughts, the culture, and the enemy authority. Forgive us for walking in that. Today, we bring an end to that. We will put first things first. We will walk in obedience. We will reach the nations. We will do whatever it takes because this is what you've called us to as the church. And we will be obedient in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us as we sing today and proclaim him as Lord. Wow, what a powerful word from Pastor Brian this morning. While you're here, go ahead and like, comment, subscribe, ring the bell so you get our notifications. We upload weekly. And tune in next week for our new series, This Is My Story, talking about how God writes epic stories in your life. Thank you.